the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 491 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. If you have been trying to figure out how to create vision for the future in this crazy time we live in where you can't even see tomorrow, uh, well, you're going to love this episode. Brett Hagler, the co-founder and CEO of New Story, is back. And uh, today's episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. If you're a church or nonprofit looking to grow online, apply for their growth program today by going to promediafire.com slash growth. And by Generis, learn how you can accelerate generosity in your church with a free 45-minute discovery session by going to generis.com slash carry. Well, it's good to have Brett Hagler back on the podcast. I love young leaders and young entrepreneurs, and he is a graduate of Y Combinator. We talked about that on his first appearance on the podcast. He's also a cancer survivor. He has been recognized on Forbes 30 Under 30 list, named one of uh, the top 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs, and his company was named among Fast Company's most innovative companies in the world, four different times. He is the CEO and co-founder of New Story. And uh, well, we get into it. We talk about how he created a 10-year vision in a very unstable world. So many leaders I talk to say, I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, which is true. But what happens in a situation like that is that your vision dies. And we also talk about how he attracts top donors. His donations have doubled. Investors have doubled in the last year and why bold ideas attract bold people. And then we talk about his habits as a young leader. He's 31. And uh, well, I think you're going to love this episode. So also, just for fun, if you follow me on social, we are changing things up here in about nine episodes. We're going to hit episode 500. And I thought, well, we need some different theme music. We've used this since day one. It's been like seven years. And so we're mixing things up. Uh, We're going to give people an opportunity to Uh, really vote on that. And that may have happened by the time you listen to this episode. But if you don't follow me on social, you can do that. I'm Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. Also see Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook and would love to connect with you there. So question, are you an early adopter and likely to be on the cutting edge of tech? Well, if so, ProMediaFire is working on new technology for churches and nonprofits that's never been done before for mission-based organizations so they can grow online. If you're looking to reach people online and you want to be involved in a new cutting-edge solution at a reasonable price, here are the requirements. You're a church between 100 and 800 members or a nonprofit with $100,000 to $800,000 in annual revenue. Got that? 1 to 800 members, people, and 1 to $800,000 budget. You have the budget to spend $100 to $200 a month to grow online, and you or a team member are willing to commit to a one-hour monthly meeting for growth. So if that's you, ProMediaFire is currently accepting applications for their growth program. This team will interview applications and work with a select group. So if you want to apply, go to ProMediaFire.com slash growth and sign up today. That's ProMediaFire.com slash growth. Also, uh, sat down for a moment with Jim Shepard, the principal at Generis, and I asked him this question. I said, what significant problem have you seen 
with leaders and how they handle the offering moment in church. Every day, every Sunday, I should say, you know, church leaders get up and they ask for an offering. Well, what mistakes do they make? Here's what Jim said. Yeah, I think by far, Carrie, the number one thing I see is it's on autoplay. They're doing the same thing almost without thinking about it on a weekly basis. And that's where the problem is. You're always saying the same thing. It doesn't land anywhere, doesn't get you anywhere. I think the fix is really easy. Just be very focused, be very intentional. Everything else in your weekly flow is very strategic, very intentional, very mapped out. Do the same thing with your giving moment. I would have what I call a 32, 12, and 4 rhythm every year. Have a calendar for your 52 weeks of the year and make sure that you follow that so that you know what you're doing. 32 times a year, talk about the scriptural backdrop for giving. 12 times a year, minimum, once a month, talk about the impact. Show videos, the impact of what happens when you give here. Four times a year, have someone from your board or your finance team Talk about why you can trust us when you give here. Trust is one of the underlying elements, and I would do that. So the 32, 12, and 4, there's four open ones there that you can do anything else you want to with them. But that's what I would do. Just be very focused. Be very intentional with it. So our friends at Generis have partnered with hundreds of churches to normalize the giving conversation and help them weave generosity in the fabric of their culture. If you want to learn how you can accelerate generosity in your church with a free 45-minute discovery session, simply go to generis.com slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S dot com slash carry. Well, you're in for a good one today. Here is my conversation with Brett Hagler. Well, Brett, welcome back. It's great to have you. Carrie, thanks for having me back on. I uh, love the show and I'm excited to talk with you. Well, I'm, I'm excited to catch up too. And on that note, um, give us an update on what's been happening with New Story and 3D printing houses and some of the other ventures that you've been into since we last had you on. Yeah, so for New Story, um, for those that don't know, um, our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. So we work uh, internationally with um, very low-income families that don't have access to uh, housing or really um, any kind of life's most basic human needs and we partner with them and we try to um, design uh, innovative solutions to get them into long-term housing. Um, everything from uh, innovation around the home design, which is different architecture or, or robotic construction, such as 3D printing, as you mentioned, to different ways of doing financing. And uh, we've been at it for about um, seven years now. And the last time I talked with you, Carrie, uh, we had a, had a, were fortunate to have um, a good 2021 and um, kind of in a, a season of things kind of doubling. Um, our team, our revenue, our impact is uh, all kind of doubling. So I, wow. I try to learn how to, how, to, how to best manage that. And um, our, our theme for this year is, uh, is um, actually to get better before bigger because we don't want to, um, to grow you know, too fast and, and uh, go too, too crazy right now. So that's, um, that's the focus. And uh, on the personal side, which is what I'm most excited about, uh, I got engaged since the last time we spoke and uh, feel like the, the luckiest guy in the world. Um, uh, super excited and uh, just so giddy um, to get to uh, marry the love of my life. Um, her name is Demi. And so that's, that's the update on the personal side. 
Well, that's that's the coolest thing, right? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. You set a date. Thank you, yeah. my friend. Yes. Yeah, we're getting married uh, in October of 2022 out in Montana um, on a ranch out there in the mountains. That sounds beautiful. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, from a leadership perspective, mm-hmm. um, doubling is pretty rare, right? You're How old is New Story now? How many years have you uh, guys since you launched? About seven, um, seven years. So doubling can happen in the first couple of years, but to have that happen around year seven is kind of unusual. What were yeah. some of the factors, as far as you can tell, that went into the doubling, particularly you know, when movement was restricted, you do a lot of work mm-hmm. internationally. So theoretically, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you couldn't travel as much as you had in the past, neither could your teams. How did that happen, Brett? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think um, if I'm just looking at 2021 compared to 2020, um, you know, things in 2020, uh, we still had a, I guess, a, a growth year, um, but it wasn't aggressive growth. And so we, you know, we kind of um, withheld our headcounts and try to move a little slower in 2020. And then, so last year we did uh, save um, just some of our, our cash and our planning to press more of the gas um, in 2021. So from a timing perspective, uh, it was kind of learning as much as we could from 2020 and COVID and all the uncertainty, um, getting more clarity on our strategy, who we wanted to hire, where, how we wanted to expand and our focus. And I think by having that clarity of, um, you know, team and expansion and and uh, really our core strategy, that enabled us to um, go out with conviction to get the capital we need, um, but also to kind of have a plan in place where we could go and, you know, hire the team members that we needed to hire. Yeah. So when you when you think about that, though, what were the factors that kind of put it into overdrive? Mm. Like you said, okay, um, your donations yeah. have doubled, for example, <laughs> sure. right? Or your revenue. Yeah. Um, is it mostly yes. a donor-funded model? Yes. Yes. It's a combination of donation revenue and now some uh, impact investment. Um, but you could just think of it, you know, simply as... Um, as donation revenue. Um, you know, Carrie, I'd say the main thing is just, uh, having, having more clarity and conviction on, um, what we're basically what we're asking for and what it, what it can do. And, um, and, and really just increasing the, uh, whether you want to call it a deal or, um, you know, a, a, a donation, um, increasing the amounts. So we went, uh, we started getting a lot more seven figure uh, partners um, in 2021 and um, kind of started just increasing some of the the deal size or the ask size. I'd say that's probably the main thing. And then recruiting uh, some pretty extraordinary people from other places. Uh, we put in a lot of work um, in 2020 and the beginning of 2021 to recruit some some really great people. And uh, that investment started to, to pay off um, towards the end of last year. So those would probably be the, the main things. Can we uh, can we break that down a little bit more? Because you have a lot yeah. of nonprofit listeners listening, mm-hmm. and um, what I think the general consensus has been is that most people saw their giving go up in 2020 because sure. people kind of rallied in a crisis. It sort of flatlined a little bit in 2021, and maybe it's flattened or gone down a little bit in 2022. Because if you're a church leader. A lot of people yeah. haven't gone back to church. So sure. I'm just curious as to, you know, how, you know, the whole, if you would give us the playbook or at least in retrospect, what you did that seemed to resonate 
with donors because doubling doubling's significant yeah. in any economy. Yeah, I think in hindsight, Carrie, which uh, I don't know, it wasn't really part of uh, the, the maybe the multi-year plan, if you will. But yeah. during 2020, um, we were okay with uh, because of all the uncertainty happening in the world. You know, we were totally okay with um, you know some of our projections or our numbers being being lower than we had anticipated. And you know, we're uh, kind of an extremely goal-oriented organization, um, trying trying to be maybe a little less of that sometimes. Um, but we were okay with uh, just going a little slower, um, learning. Like we tried, we spent so much time just learning and uh, kind of zooming out and getting time to 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 think. Like, okay, we have this we have this, obviously this incredibly rare season. Um, what do we want to do over the coming years? And so I think for New Story, just kind of the the season we were in, um, it had been about five years since starting the organization. Um, we were fortunate to get off to, you know, a pretty good start in our first five years. And we got to just in 2020 take um, some time to think what we want to do over the next couple of years. And then we kind of put that plan together and we went out and we knew the type of people we need to hire and the type of ask and deals that we need to go after. And I think it was because of this, this actual, the slowdown that um, kind of we decided to zoom out and think about that and uh, made a plan and went out and fortunately were able to, to make progress against it. How did you get your existing donors to double or significantly increase their giving? Yeah, I think it's a it's a combination of two things. Um, one is, you know, it, it's I think it's easy for people to say, well, just make bigger ask, right? Or if you're mm-hmm. obviously on the for profit side, just you know, go after bigger customers or go go you know further upstream uh, or further up the up the market. Um, yes, obviously that's that you could do that, but I feel the only way you can do that is if you have the kind of the other side of it, which is the operational capacity. Uh, to go out and execute against what you're what you're asking for, right? So if you go in and you ask for whether it's a million dollar partnership or versus a ten thousand dollar partnership, um, that means that you need to be able to have a lot of the you know the, the the programs or the operations in a place where you can execute against that that larger amount, and um, it's kind of building that muscle and that um, that back end to. Uh, give you the confidence and the conviction that you can go make a bigger ass because you know you have a higher confidence that you can deliver on it. And so I think we've we've spent a lot of time um, trying to to build out more of of that part, which gives us the uh, like we can go and show people, hey, for this amount of money, um, this is what we'll be able to do in this period of time because we've put in so much work to to build that team out. Okay, that's kind of counterintuitive because I think yeah. a lot of people would say, I've, I've been trying to follow what you're saying. They would mm-hmm. say, well, let's go get the money and then we'll do the thing. You're like, no, let's go do the thing and build the structure and then we'll go get the money. Did I, did I get that right? Uh, I mean, kind of. I mean, New Story, we, I mean, we, we, we have been fortunate to, uh, to, to, I mean, we've been very fortunate uh, on a fundraising and revenue side. Um, that's been one of our strengths. So it's not like we were coming into this uh, kind of growth season in a place of, you know, financial issues or not being um, financially healthy. Uh, we were in a good place. And so because of that, we were able to in, to invest into some of our, our team and, and expansion, um, which I think then just 
put us in a better place to go after bigger partnerships and bigger deals. Hmm. What does an ask look like when you approach a donor and say, hey, here's an opportunity to give significantly more? What is that like? Yeah, I mean, we've uh, we've we've had to learn over the years. Um, I think that it, it what we've one thing one mantra that we say all the time is not just in asking for 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 money or in partnerships, but also just in uh, what we decide to do as an organization is that bold ideas attract bold people. And mm. so, if we're fortunate to um, have relationships with uh, influential people that have capacity and want to make a significant impact. Uh, we, in order to attract those people to what we're doing, they're going to be much more interested in a, a bold concept or a bold ask is what we've found. Right. So if, if let's just say that we're sitting across the table from someone that, um, just kind of make it up numbers, right. But has capacity to give, um, a million dollars or or ten million dollars. Let's say let's say ten million dollars, right? Sure. And and we go in and we make up this big plan for you know a, a ten or twenty thousand dollar ask, right? Obviously that's a that's a that's a that's a meaningful amount of money, um, but that's a lot different than if we go in and we make an ask for two million or five million, right? And because from their perspective, they're looking at it and saying, wow, like. I'm actually not getting asked this all the time in a very thoughtful way, and I actually have capacity to do it. <laughs> and so it's a lot more intriguing, for example, for me to go to someone and say, because uh, New Story does housing, and we actually design entire communities. So think of 100 to 500 home communities, right? So to make a very tangible, real example, it's a much more interesting to say, hey, you could fund and partner with an entire community of 300 houses, right? Which is over a thousand people. And that's the ask versus would you consider funding five houses? Mm -hmm. That, that, that boldness, um, is, is just, is, is more intriguing if you're speaking to whether it's a corporate partnership or a foundation or an individual that has capacity to give, um, that boldness, I think, uh, just attracts people that like those bold ideas. I think that's such a good principle because sometimes we sit there with our very average ideas, our very like incremental change. We're going to get 2% better this year. And then we're like, why aren't people buying in? Like, where's the right. vision? And how did you phrase exactly. it? Exactly. Bold ideas attract bold people. Yeah. Bold ideas attract bold people. And, and the other thing that with that is, um, is, is, is conviction, right? Is conviction and courage to say, um, hey, we're going to make this larger amount uh, ask because we're doing all the hard work on the back end to recruit great people, to build a great product, to form the right relationships um, and partnerships to do so. And that's why we have the conviction that we can we can ask for this. Um, you know, this just recently happened. I won't say the name of the company because um, we haven't announced it yet, but we're extremely excited about a new partnership with a, a cryptocurrency company, um, one that everybody's heard of and, or that's in crypto. And, uh, you know, going to them, they're not, they're not as interested in a, in a smaller, a smaller proposal or pitch, right? They're interested in something, in something much bigger that if it works, it helps them um, you know, prove a, 
a use case uh, for what we're trying to do that is very exciting and intriguing to them as a company. And so, th- yeah, you have to have the, the usually the bolder idea to make a bolder ask. Hmm. And yet you've got the mantra, better before bigger, right? So there's there's a beautiful tension here I want to keep drilling down into yeah. because I think there's a principle here that applies across the board. Because part of that, if I'm going to give you, you know, theoretically a million dollars, $10 million, yep. um, you better administer it well. Like that's Absolutely. just not like, oh, here, you know, go put it that's in right. some, you know, interest bearing account. I want totally. that to go to use. I don't want it to be squandered. Right. I've, I've, I've got to have a confidence that that's, that's right. worthy of the investment. I mean, if you think about what Bill Gates is doing, basically he's taking his fortune and figuring out how to spend it and vetting ideas right. on everything from sanitation to clean energy to human health. And he's doing that with the same mind that built Microsoft, right? In other words, exactly. you're, you're going to have to prove exactly. that this works. That's a real different way of thinking for a lot of nonprofit and impact organizations or even for small businesses who are like, you know, I can't mm-hmm. understand why no one will fund my next phase. So sure. better before bigger. Can you drill down on either some of the principles or some of the specific things you've yeah. done to get better? I know you've hinted at it a little bit, but I want to I want to go there a bit deeper. Yeah. Yeah, so for 2022, we um and we're recording this uh kind of in in the in late March of 2022. Yeah. Um, we actually intentionally set a smaller number of, um, for us, it's about kind of delivering homes or communities and number of people that we can impact. Um, we actually in, you know, intentionally set a lower number this year. It's it's almost flat to what it was uh, in 2021 so that our team can go out and focus on a strategy that we are kind of all in on over the coming years. And uh, that strategy is about um, creating a more financially sustainable path to home ownership. Mm-hmm. So um, a model where uh, the families that we get to partner with, which are some of the lowest income families um, in the world, uh, instead of it being um, a subsidy or only a, a, a kind of a charitable gift, um, they're actually able to pay for the whole house and the land. And that's packaged in a, a if you're listening in the, you know, in the US, uh, like a, a mortgage type of product. Mm. Um, and we're trying to really pioneer what that looks like. Uh, and there's a lot of learning and we want to be very deep in the weeds of getting that right, of getting the architecture right um, and getting the the lending right and qualifying the right families and the whole end-to-end system. Of, and so, because we know if we get that right, then that's what we believe we can really scale up this decade. And so for us, it makes sense to to focus on getting better before bigger in 2022 and potentially even 2023 because we have so much conviction in that in, in this approach um, for the decade to impact the most people. Okay, so this is fascinating. Another another thing. We're just we're just going to play here for a little while. Sure. I just yeah. heard you talk about a ten year vision, and almost every leader yes. I'm talking to finds it impossible to find a ten minute vision right now because everything <laughs> is changing so quickly. Sure. And I've got to think. Well, you've already hinted at it that you got hit by COVID like everybody did, right? Like borders mm-hmm. shut down, uh, the flow of yeah. goods is disrupted. So when you're building houses around the world. Yeah. that people can afford. And again, we'll link to everything in the show notes. If you haven't seen news stories sure. work, it's pretty incredible. 3D um, printing homes and communities and 
Like it's it's the stuff of science fiction, except it's actually happening. And I've toured your uh, facility. I've seen a house stood in one of those houses you built. And frankly, a lot of us would live in them. They're beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you've you. got a 10-year vision. And that is something that a lot of leaders don't have. They, they can't even see tomorrow. How do you develop a sure. 10-year vision in the midst of so much global uncertainty? Yeah, I, I think the uncertainty actually, as I kind of briefly mentioned earlier in our session, uh, for us, it actually caused us to zoom out and to think um, and to think more long term. And uh, during COVID, we actually, um, news stories always worked internationally. We started in Haiti, we expanded to El Salvador, Mexico, and we're primarily focused in Latin America. Um, but we actually did some uh, temporary work in the U.S., and that was because during COVID, there was there was just all these issues around you know people being potentially removed out of their homes, and our hands were tied internationally. So we were like, okay, we want to do a you know a project in the U.S. and and we got we learned so much about the problems in the U.S. and housing and the affordability issues. Um, to where we were we were actually considering should we should we start a new story U.S. branch or should we actually do more work here? And this was a this is honestly probably one of the hardest decisions that um, that we've had to make and I've had to make. And uh, we ended up saying no. And we ended up saying um, as much as we would love to, as much as our heart would say we'd love to, as much as it would be great for financial resources and recruiting, um, we want to first try to be the best in the world at serving the demographic that we're working with, mm-hmm. which is a certain income base um, that are in certain areas and we want to try to create the best product for that market. And we, we want to be best in the world at doing that and bringing innovation and technology and um, a, a, a better business orientation to that demographic. And so uh, our mantra that year was that uh, focus will set you free. <laughs> and and focus, focus will set you free. Uh, was was shared with to us by um, one of our board members, a uh, gentleman by the name of Robert Homan, who started uh, Glassdoor. And uh, that's been so freeing for our team because when you're working on such a massive problem, right? How, a global housing issue is like literally one of the most expensive, biggest problems in the world. Like just by the numbers, we would we would say aside from climate change, it's, it's the largest and most expensive problem in the world. Um, that you, you get pulled in so many directions, Gary, right? Like so many great directions that you could go. And uh, the total addressable market is so massive that you could, you know, in theory, go after anything, right? Because there's need everywhere. And so what we had to do was say, what what is a picture of success look like to us in 2030 and a milestone that we can set and then work backwards as to how we're going to hit it. And so that milestone for us is partnering with um, a million people in Latin America in a financially sustainable model. And uh, and doing that um, will be about 220,000 homes. Um, and that is that it's uh, specific to a certain demographic um, and there's a lot more details that go into it. And then anything else that comes up, we have a filter to say, we may do that later on, um, but right now we are in, we are maniacally focused on being the best in the world at delivering this product to this market for this million people, and like that's it. 
And that has been so freeing to us. I can't even tell you how freeing that's been. And then the innovation that comes, we can still, we can innovate a lot, but, but it's all within the longer term vision of getting to that million people, which has, which has constraints around it. Right. And so it's not just innovating anything around the world that has to do with housing. It's innovating within the constraints that we've set. Um, and that has been very freeing for us. You know, it's counterintuitive, Brett, but it's so much more laser focused than solving global housing issues, right? Which could exactly. easily be your mission, right. you know, exactly. housing every person in the world or whatever you wanted to say, which right. sounds beautiful and looks great on a wall, but it's like, how do you do it? And you made that so specific. Yeah. <laughs> well, we eventually, you know, decades from now, right? And then when I'm, when I'm older and uh, hopefully get to live, you know, a long time, we do hope that we're making more of a, a significant dent, you know, tens of millions of people around the world. But the question we had to ask was, what is a significant milestone that we can get laser focused on um, this decade? And that was the million people with all those details underneath mm. that. So you have some incredible advisors. And in your first interview here on the podcast, we talked about um, Y Combinator, Paul Graham, that yes. whole thing. But obviously you continue to expand your network. You continue to you know, replenish your board, uh, find new donors. What have been some keys to connecting with and really not just like meeting someone at an event, but having them partner with you when you're dealing with uh, high net worth or also just really valuable investors who bring an awful lot to the table or board members, advisors, partners. What are some keys to building those strong relationships that uh, you built? Yeah, it's a great question, Carrie. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a work in progress and something that we're trying to always learn. I would say the things that have really worked for us is um, one, going back to having that conviction and being being unashamed about who we are, the way that we think, and the, basically the way that we roll, the way that we do things, um, which means it's actually it's not going to be a fit for everybody, right? It's not going to be the way that um, you know a certain narrative that other people think you're supposed to do, or they've heard it done before. Um, and we, we honestly, we don't even, we usually don't even try to convince people. It's just, if, if they don't, if they're not on board with the, the, the style that we have and some of our core principles, then there are obviously so many other amazing organizations that they could go be part of. And so I think what's really helped is being really clear about what we believe about the principles that we have about some of the, I call them narrative violations um, that are different than what most people think you're supposed to do. And when you find people that resonate with that and they kind of are nodding their head and they're saying, oh yeah, I've thought that too. You know, I've thought, th thought about that narrative violation before. Um, that draws them in, right? And there's this, and you find people that are very intrigued by what you're doing because they they believe in those principles as well. And so we've just, I've always tried to be unashamed about those things and be very clear about them and knowing that that will eventually attract the right, the right kind of people. How do you know you're not wrong though? I mean, one of the things you get is you get feedback from yeah. people. And so sure. you're getting feedback from people who've said, yes, that's a great vision. 
But how do you know when you pitch to someone who's had a modicum of success in life or maybe a lot of success in life and they're like, yeah, Brett, I'm not in. I just don't see it. I don't like the way you guys are doing it. One of the things I find difficult, I think I'm asking for me, is sometimes yeah. I'm like, well, what if he's sure. right? What if she's right? And what if I'm wrong? <laughs> sure. Like, where's that filter? How do you develop yeah. that? It's such a good question. I I, I mean, I think it's, um, oh man, it's so it hard is. because <laughs> sometimes what they're saying is, is, is very wise, is very smart. Um, and I think that, you know, we're obviously making notes of what people are saying. And sometimes if it is something that is really smart or coming at a different angle, um, we definitely have the humility to, to listen and to learn. So one of our values is, um, you know, a humble pursuit of excellence. And so while we want to definitely have conviction and pursue something, we want to be, you know, humble along the way and listening and learning. And, um, and so I don't know, I don't have a great, I don't no, have a great I, formulaic answer for I that. I appreciate Carrie, the because honesty. Because we struggle with that I as well. don't know that I could articulate yeah. why, but I get to ask the questions here. So, you know, that's why, that's why yeah. I asked the question. It is one of those things because sometimes yeah. you run into someone and, you know, you tell something, you reject their advice. And then five years later, you look back and go, Ooh, there was some wisdom in that. Totally. Right? But. Oh, absolutely. You also have great investors. And, and I, yeah, I felt that too. Advisors. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we've, we've made, gosh, we've made so many mistakes <laughs> and we've tried so many things that, that absolutely have not worked. Um, I mean, I could go back and do a retrospective on so many things that people have told me. Um, I also think that you still need to have a conviction of where you want to go. And then you just, you have to be able to learn, iterate along the way, you know? And so new story, you know, we're now seven years in as an organization and, uh, you know, we, on one hand, we've, we've gotten off to a good start. We've had a lot of momentum, which has been such a blessing, um, obviously still insanely early uh, to what we want to do. Um, but I'd say the main thing that's happened, Carrie, when I look back is just how much we've learned, right? Like the last seven, the first seven years, I mean, I started this organization when we were 24 and 25 years old with my co-founders that were the same age. You know, we we didn't know really what we were doing. We you know, had so many insecurities. We had so many just, we were so naive about things. And um, obviously I think some of that was to our advantage of just trying stuff. But uh, but gosh, did we have to learn. But I, I think that you have to learn by doing. That's, that's a belief that I have. Um, you have to learn the hard lessons sometimes by doing. And I think that you're going to learn way more is if you are actually going out and trying something as opposed to researching and having, you know, a thousand conversations of advice on what to do. So it's, it's, it's obviously, a, um, it's, it's a tough <laughs> dichotomy because you want to listen. You absolutely want to have wise counsel around you. Um, and you don't you don't want that to stifle um, you going out and doing and learning. So ideally, it's the perfect blend, but <laughs> it's hard. No, there's a lot of wisdom there, Brett. So I want to go back to your ten year vision. And one of the things that really got sure. me about it was it was so specific. So, you know, why mm -hmm. Latin America? Why yeah. that number of homes? That number of communities? Like, yep. can you because what that is and the, yeah. what's the question, question under the question is. There's a globe full of elimination in that visit, vision. And mm -hmm. a lot of leaders are like, we're here to yeah. reach everybody. And then they end up reaching nobody, sure. right? That whole idea, we're going to solve yep. global poverty. Totally. And then, you know, didn't quite work <laughs> sure. out. 
So I'd, yeah. I'd like you to walk us through, just as a case yeah. study, because everybody's mission is different. But when I hear mm-hmm. that 10-year vision, I'm like, whew, that's exciting. That's inspiring. But it's mm-hmm. it's a whole boatload. Like you've eliminated 99.9% of yes. every other option to get there. So can you break it down right. a little bit and the thinking about yeah. why that yeah. and why those those parameters? Yes. So actually what we've done, which sounds... Uh, uh, counterintuitive to an inspiring big vision is we've actually really shrunk our total addressable market, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so we we really shrunk it, and we got really specific with the the region, the income level um, that it that it needs to be uh, financially sustainable, um, which is essentially saying that we believe families should be uh, essentially buying the homes and we want to create the right partnerships and the right product and experience for them to do that. Um, and then from there, you know, we figured it's about 220,000 homes, um, which is very significant. I mean, don't get me wrong. That will make us one of the largest home builders, uh, in the country, but on this hemisphere. So it's still Mm -hmm. a very big number. Um, but uh, but just reverse engineering, you know, I just came from an offsite with our team, and the, we started with the, the ten year the ten year vision, and really thinking through what needs to happen, you know, this year and next year, and setting kind of a three year milestone that you don't have to get perfect, right? You don't have to get, you know, but but it needs to be directionally accurate, and uh, that's. And we set a number, which means we would need to raise a certain amount of money, a certain amount of capital, um, expand our local teams in certain regions. So we're now, you know, hiring different general managers um, throughout places in Latin America that we've identified. Uh, and we are going very deep in those regions to build a brand, to build relationships, to build partnerships, um, and to be able to, to quickly learn. And so it's, it's broken down um, in, in, a, in a pretty detailed way. Uh, but, but we also... So we are, while we're on one hand, pretty detailed about it, uh, we of course want to still be open-handed with uh, innovation and and creativity. And so, you know, one example that I'll give, Carrie, is uh, we are, since the last time I spoke with you, we've gained even more conviction that we really believe that even the lowest income families um, can want and the best way to impact the most people is to have them actually pay mm. for their home, right? Um but with that, there are significant challenges in doing that. Um, for most, almost every family we work with is is unbanked, right? So you have to think through how do they actually make payments, right? And how long do they make payments? That that whole experience and system. Um, a lot of the exi- uh, existing traditional banking system or lending system is not set up for this demographic. So there's a lot of challenges, um, but because we believe in creating that financially sustainable path, um, that then gives us the opportunity to create, innovate, bring on other partners that can help us do that. Um, so that's what we started talking through very recently at our offsite are different methods for for doing that. I'm actually not disagreeing with you. I think a younger version of me would have said, you should give those homes away and just have people Donate them, but I've, sure. I've I've learned over time that generally speaking, people don't value what they get for free. Um, was that kind of thinking underneath the even the poor who are inhabiting these homes need to pay for them? Like, what is under that decision? Because it's not yeah. intuitive. 
Yeah, it's a couple things. Um, so, you know, because News Story is seven years in, we do have data on thousands of families that we've already worked with directly, right? And we have worked with some families that um, are literally some of the poorest families on this hemisphere, and those homes have have been given, and we feel great about that. Um, there's obviously so much um, so much love and uh, compassion in doing that. And so we feel great about that. And we also have um, started the model where families would would pay for a smaller percentage of their home and that money would be repurposed and would go back into the community. And we actually saw that families wanted to pay. There's dignity in it. There's ownership in it of a mother being able to say, I'll never forget, she said, you know, my dream is to be able to tell my grandchild one day that I paid for this home and this land, right? And and we, so we, so we, we kind of had that experience. Um, and then the bigger picture, which is now getting a little bit into the kind of strategy is, uh, is we believe to actually impact, you know, the amount of people that we want to impact tens of millions, maybe even a hundred million plus one day, um, one, it's not just going to be a news story. Like we have to have, of course, other other partners and actors do it and, and help them as well. Um, but there's just, there's literally just, there's not enough uh, government subsidy or charity out mm-hmm. there to do it. Like the, it's so expensive. The problem is so expensive and it's so big that it's just, there's just not enough money out there. So, um, so we believe that the market um, and having it be financially sustainable in a way that, um, if you can get the home costs low enough and you can get the financing right and the terms right and bring in the right lenders and the right banks and try to create incentive, um, you know, within that country and within that region um, to to lend to, to this demographic for housing um, and that families can pay it back over time. And there's even a little bit of margin and profit in it. That is actually how we're going to reach the most people. That's what we, that's our opinion. That's, that's what we believe. Um, and so what we want to do with this, you know, proving out with a million people is we want to prove on a, a pretty large scale with a million people that this can be done. Here's a model that can be replicated and it can actually be done in a way that is a, a financial, financial, uh, financially sustainable path to home ownership. There are so many directions I could go right now. I think I'm going to pick this one. Um, sure, yeah. Partnerships. You do okay. mention partnerships. And even in the tour I did a couple of years sure. ago of your then facility, yeah. right? You have a partnership. Like you're yes. you're doing a lot of the work, a lot of the yeah. thinking, a lot of the design, but you have to hire engineers yes. and the engineers are actually building the 3D printers. And I mean, a lot of people listening have a little 3D printer in their home. That kind of thing. I mean, sure. just think of like an industrial scale, something almost the size, the width of your house is now printing a house. I mean, yes. th- these are really big partnerships. What have been some keys? And you've got your donors and you've got your board and you've got other people on the ground. Yeah. What have been some mm-hmm. insights and mistakes you've made in building partnerships? Because you're right. And again, what I'm pushing at here, the question under the question is, a lot of us yeah. think we're going to save the world alone. I'm going to start a social media account and change global stuff. Oh, or, no way. you know, I'm going to start yeah, this yeah. not-for-profit or I'm going to start this. And it's going to, and a lot of leaders are, are lone sure. rangers and that just doesn't work at scale. So sure. can you explain um, That's your right. thinking and wins and losses yes. in the partnership department? Yes. And I just want to uh, just call out the one partner you're referring to, which yeah. is uh, Icon. They're the robotic construction company out of Austin. 
They're absolutely phenomenal. They have been just doing such a phenomenal job the last couple of years. So Icon. shout out to, to Icon and the team. Um, yeah. So so the, 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 the first thing that comes to mind, Carrie, because we have tried with a lot of partners, um, I think the number one thing that's worked is, is a real commitment and a real prioritization from the top, from both companies or organizations. So the, the ones that have really worked for us um, it's been it's been a top priority for both companies. Maybe it's not the absolute number one thing for both of them that year, but it is one of their top priorities mm. for that for that year um, or however, however long the partnership is. Because what that means is then you're you're allocating a lot of your best talent or some of your senior management to this project. Um, it is usually some type of annual or quarterly goal for both organizations or both companies. Um, and you both have skin in the game for making it work. Um, and, and there is, and there is ideally usually some type of deadline, um, and with that creates some, uh, urgency and momentum. Those are the ones that have really worked for us. Um, the ones that haven't worked is when it's been less of a priority there's been less urgency of a deadline or a timeline to get things done. Uh, it's, you know, kind of pushed down um, the organization because it's, it's, it's just not as important. It's maybe a nice to have. And in our opinion, from our experience, that creates um, just this like slowness, um, a lack of progress. And uh, I think with any high performing team, um, Nobody likes slowness and a lack of progress, right? I mean, um, I mean, sometimes you can you can have a. Sometimes it's okay to have a lack of, I guess, progress. But if you're if you're if you're doing stuff, right? If you're um, if you're if you're out in the field doing something and you're trying and you're and you're moving fast and you're you're focusing on it, and if you're maybe if it's not working, that's different. That's just because it could be something super hard and it's okay to to fail or not have something work. But just things getting dragged out and pushed back, like that's the stuff that no high performer wants. So those have been our two our two big learnings um, is getting real commitment, real prioritization, and uh, and only having a few, right, or or maybe even even one or two. And it's your job as a leader or as a leadership team to pick the partners that you believe um, can can help advance your mission or your cause or your company revenue. Um, in the best way. And it, obviously that's that's a tough decision, but that's what leaders have to do. They have to go out and, you know, be be able to to try to pick um, certain partners that they can go go further with. I want to talk about your personal disciplines as well, because you know, you're a young leader. You started this when you were 24 or 25. You're in your early, early 30s now. Yeah. What, 31, 32? Pretty young. 32, yeah. 32. So uh, you're getting married that's now. Right. Again, congratulations. Thanks, Life is about to change significantly, but you got a smile on your face. Oh, yeah. You look reasonably like healthy from what I can see, uh, actually quite healthy. You know, you're not like, oh, I've been up for three days straight yeah. and living off caffeine. Um, what have been some keys to you navigating all of this, mm. including massive growth mm -hmm. in these first seven years as a young leader? Talk about your personal disciplines. Sure. I mean, this may be... Uh some of the most boring, uninspiring answers that, that you'll ever get. Um, because I think, 
you know, people that know me well would say that I have uh, some of the the self discipline or the habits have been um, have been have been a, a core reason for um, some of what's happened with with New Story. And you know, Carrie, it's I'm just such a believer in 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 the daily compounding habits mm-hmm. and. Sometimes it's just, it's not super inspiring and it's, you hear it from other places, but man, when I was about 23, 24, I decided that I was going to have a few like keystone habits. And, um, I had just became, uh, a believer, um, right out of college when I was 22 years old, um, actually through, through Buckhead church and, and Andy Stanley wow. and I uh, had made a big 180, um, in my life. And, um, and I wanted to prioritize uh, healthy habits and, and and commit to them really daily. And so those for, for me, um, it's, it's so simple. It's just, I, I, I love working out. I've always prioritized it. Um, even when I was, you know, traveling 100 to 130 flights a year, I would work out pretty much every day. Um, that just helped with my mental energy. Uh, it impacted my mind. Obviously, it impacted um, you know, physically as well. But that was something I just always did, mm-hmm. uh, unless there was something very rare that happened. Um, obviously tried to eat eat healthy as well, and that's helped. And then um, just morning time of uh, journaling and and reading scripture. Um, I call it the, uh, the, this sounds very cheesy, but the, um, the spiritual stack. And it was like it's about that. 30 minutes, 30 minutes every morning, um, except on the weekends, sometimes I'm, I'm way more loose with it. And uh, no matter what I have going on, um, I just, I prioritize those things. And uh, those have just compounded into, uh, um, I think, a good centering for the day. And I think how we live our days is how we live our lives. And now I'm seeing it um, over the years, you know, compound. Mm. Um, And so those are some of the things. And then, you know, some of the other habits that are maybe a little more entrepreneurial is, um, I've just, I've always believed in, and there's different, there's different um, philosophies for this. This has just been my opinion and what's worked, but I've always believed on setting clear focus goals with a timeline and then working backwards to make it happen. You know, and so in the very beginning, when I was just starting this story, I had no clue how to do a thousand homes or to talk about all the stuff we talked about. Like literally Carrie had, had no clue. And so I just set a, a goal of, of just doing one house, right? And uh, it always used to say, you know, do for one family what I wish I could do for all. And that's how it started. And then it was, okay, let's try to do a community. And we tried to do a community of 200 houses, a whole community, it was about a thousand people. And that was the goal, you know, and then it was, how could we 3D print one house? You know, I could, I could go on and on, but it was just setting these really clear goals um, with ideally a timeline. And that, that forces you to have some urgency and to build momentum in doing that. So those are some of the things that I've done. Um, and then I'd say the last habit uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective was, um, it's just, it's just trying to make the most of the the biggest opportunities. And so the big, the big home run opportunities, they don't come around that often, right? And no matter what we're doing, but sometimes they do come around and I just always try my best to be so overly prepared for those opportunities, um, to do whatever I could to try to make the most of that opportunity. And, uh, that's something that has, has certainly were, um, helped us. And uh, I think any kind of younger um, aspiring leader or entrepreneur um, 
has has the choice to do all those things that I mentioned. Well, you mentioned Andy, and I think I'm paraphrasing yeah. him, so I probably am going to get this wrong. But I've heard him say, yeah. you know, if you live a very boring life, you can have a very meaningful life. Like it is getting enough sleep. It's working sure. out. It's eating totally. relatively Absolutely. similar meals that are healthy. It's the patterns and the compound interest over time. And you're not, you're not doing these crazy things, but that is what produces no. crazy results. And I've seen similar principles at work in my own life. That's super helpful. Of course you have. You, yeah. you, have, to, you have to read a lot or learn a lot to stay current yeah. in your field. Things are changing all the time. Technology, you're big into technology, is changing all the mm-hmm. time. What are your reading habits, your reading disciplines, your, or maybe I'd say learning disciplines that help you mm-hmm. stay current? Yeah, okay. So learning disciplines, I would say, I, I am trying to learn, at least from a, from a news story standpoint, things that are relative to us. And that could be on the technology or the innovation side. Um, so I'll give you an example, right? Like, uh, because, uh, families making repayments for basically mortgages that we're starting to, to work on or have been working on, um, that is, that is a reason why I should learn a lot about cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. right? Because the use case is almost all the families we work with are unbanked, but they have cell phones and there's volatility with, you know, whatever currency they have and usually in the country that they're in. And so that actually makes sense for me to invest time and to really learn about cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. right? That's that's an example. Well, what um, nation has and, made and, crypto and so, their official currency? Is that El Salvador or Ecuador? El Salvador. Uh, El, Salvador yes. El Salvador has actually made it their official yes. currency. Yeah. That's right. And we're doing, um, that's what we're just about to, uh, to start a project there, um, issuing the first um, Bitcoin-based uh, mortgage program um, for families that are unbanked that we work with, but they all have cell phones. And uh, we're issuing mortgages um, kind of in a, in a, a Bitcoin-based um, model on, on a, a blockchain called the Lightning Network. So that's, that's an example of um, how, how learning is has turned into something that we can try and pilot. Um, and then, you know, it, it, other ways of learning. Um, I mean, for me, it's mostly, it's a combination of, you know, businessy or kind of startup technology stuff. And then um, I'm a Christian. So also um, things from a faith mm-hmm. perspective that I can, so those are the two things that I'm mostly learning. Sure. And it, it's also, it's a lot of dichotomies I find. Um, and I, and I like learning, um, from different people that what they're saying, uh, they probably wouldn't fully agree with each other if they were in the same room, but I can pick and choose what I want to learn from them. Right. So let me give you, let me give you two examples. So one of the books I just read that I actually believe in almost a hundred percent of all the principles in there, um, is a, is a more popular, uh, book called uh, amp it up. And it's been popular in the, um, kind of technology startup world. It's by a, a, a three time, um, successful CEO founder. Who's the CEO of, uh, um, snowflake right now called Frank Slootman. And you know, the, the book is all about just pace and speed and high expectations and high standards. Right. So I'm reading that. And then I'm also reading soul keeping <laughs> and I'm reading the ruthless elimination of hurry. <laughs> and, and, and it's like this, and, I'm, and then I'm going back and I'm reading this other book by, 
you know, Tim Grover, who is the, uh, called Relentless. He was the trainer to Michael Jordan and Kobe and, and now he does, you know, he trains executives. And so th there's a lot of dichotomy and what's being shared, but I'm trying to pick and choose. Okay. For me as a leader that has identified the things that are most important in my life, which for me, it's, it's two things at the top. It's, it's, it's my faith. So it's, it's, you know, desiring Jesus above all else. And then now it's, uh, it's my soon-to-be wife, right? And it's Demi, and and those are my top priorities. And then, of course, it's it's loving others, and then you know, leadership at News Story. And so, I'm reading these things, and I'm just I'm trying to to pick and choose what's relevant to me, given the um, the priorities that I've made in this season of my life, which the season of my life six years ago was was different. Like I just I was in a different season where I had different priorities. So, well, I think that dichotomous yeah. learning, if you want to call it that, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I was, uh, <laughs> it was so funny. I was looking at my table yesterday upstairs and I had two books on it. One was by Ramit Sethi, <laughs> I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And the other yeah. was uh, Glenn yeah. Packham's The Resilient Pastor. And I thought, I don't know how many coffee tables actually have both books being read by the same person yes. because they feel like two different universes, right? But that. I'm like, that's kind of my world. I really like Ramit. I really like Glenn. And uh, yeah. that's cool. And if you look at my shelf, it's a bunch of weirdness. But I think it is that that sparks. Do you find that that creates, sparks creative and original thought by pulling in from a variety oh of, of, yeah. of conflicting sources or different sources? Yes, I, I am obsessed with that idea of what you just mm. shared. Like that, those dichotomies. And, and I think it works when you, when you're secure and rooted in, in your identity and what you've prioritized, right? So Carrie, obviously I know you're a very intentional person. You have priorities in your own life. And, and so you're able to go and listen to all types of things mm -hmm. from all types of people with different backgrounds and you're secure enough in your identity and what you believe and who you are to then pull the things out that spark original thought or, and, and I do the same thing. Like I, I get so many concepts or ideas and then, um, and then I, I'm not believing all of them or maybe I'm not acting on all of them and I'm being grounded in some of the other, um, you know, resources or learning materials that, that, that help me be grounded and, and, and humble and, and, and what I want to do. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like even I'm not preaching as much anymore, but when I was preaching, I would sometimes pull out yeah. a book on atheism or read about Buddhism and you think, oh, that's going to destroy your faith. Actually, it deepened mine, which is really bizarre and gave me a better yeah. understanding of where other people are coming from. So, you know, not that, that I make that Absolutely. my daily diet, but like there's a lot of fear, I think, sometimes in Christian circles that uh, a bigger worldview is going to lead to a collapsing worldview. And actually, to me, it, it seems to have rooted me deeper spiritually. Yeah. Same. Okay, so uh, crypto, fintech, that whole, you know, the unbankable. This is a recurring theme in our culture right now. And there's a million opinions about, you know, the blockchain, the metaverse, uh, crypto. We've done a, a mini-series on that here. What are some reliable sources that you turn to for learning on crypto? Can you just name whether that's a writer or a book or uh, a website that you revisit or someone you follow on social that you're like, you know, this is pretty good stuff. And not just like, oh, I, I want to make a whole bunch of money off an NFT, but no, you're actually going to be banking yeah, people sure. 
using crypto who right. own homes. Like, you know, so that's why I'm, that's I'm very right. interested in your answer because it's not speculative. Yeah, I, I, um, absolutely. So I, um, let's see, off the top of my head, uh, I really like what, um, there's a venture capital firm that's gone pretty large now, um, called Andreessen Horowitz. Um, it's called, uh, A16Z. And they have, they were one of the first ones to create a larger um, cryptocurrency yeah. fund. This was back in the day where almost everybody told them, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and they did it. And uh, what I love about them is they, they've brought on a lot of really smart people that, um, you know, whether they were a combination of people that have come from Washington or in government and from folks with uh, more of a global perspective. And obviously that's helping them um, inform them on their investment decisions. But I think it's, I think it's very sound and I think it's a lot of what they put out um, is wise. Yeah. So I learned a lot. No, from no, I just wanted to ask, ahead, is that sorry. Chris Dixon? Am I getting that name right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So Chris Dixon. Yeah. I was just trying to get the name right. I've written mm -hmm. some of what he and listened to several interviews with him. You yeah. find him to be a reliable source? I do. I don't know Chris personally, but um, everyone I know that knows him speaks very highly of him. And yes, so I think that uh, th that's very reliable. Um, let's see. I there's a, a podcast. It's, it's a little it's a little biased just because it's very bullish on crypto. But um, there's a, a podcast uh, called the, the Pomp Podcast, which I think has a lot of um, wise people on that as well. P U M P or P O M P? P P O M P. Um, Anthony Pompliano. Okay, yeah, got it. He's a, a new new story supporter and um, has has been great uh, as far as bringing people on. It's a daily daily podcast. Um, but I think I've tried to learn the most just directly from you know, just conversations and reaching out to people and and telling them about our specific use case, right? And so I think for anybody that wants to learn more about the world of cryptocurrency, which I mean, isn't even in the first inning, in my opinion, of what it's going to be this decade, it's so broad, it's so huge. Like I would recommend trying to pick, trying to pick a use case or an area that you're very intrigued by, right? So if it was in you know, if you are an artist and you hear about NFTs and you like to make music, well, how could that apply to what I could be working on in the future, right? And then you can you can kind of, um, in that niche, then you can find places and people that you can reach out to and you can talk to um, and learn. And so that's what we try to do. And uh, we've learned a ton and uh, we're about to, yeah, embark on um, a really exciting project in El Salvador that will be the first time um, low-income families will pay a mortgage in a, a Bitcoin-based uh, model um, that will be on a, a blockchain using what's called the Lightning Network. And so that was almost a year yeah, of learning, yeah. you know, for me and my team. Um, and we're still going to learn a ton. And you know, people, uh, families we work with in El Salvador are literally going to be getting invoices. Uh, they're getting, this has happened already. We have eight homes that have been completed and uh, they're getting invoices on their phone to click a button and and pay that monthly amount um, hmm. in, in Bitcoin That's that's been on their phone. Um, and so that's been a fun journey, but we have a lot, we have a lot to learn. And again, you only learn by doing, you know, I can't tell you how many people have, you know, been, and I get it. Your you, people can be um, very skeptical, and they can say like, "Well, oh my gosh! Like, how are you going to do training? How are people going to understand this? The volatility risk, like all of that stuff, right? Which is which is valid and is good. But 
we believe the best way that we're going to learn is to learn by doing. And, and that's what, that's what we're doing this year um, with the hope of proving out a simplified way for unbanked families that don't trust a traditional banking system that isn't set up for them to be able to make payments on their phone um, in a way that is tracked in the blockchain, which is super transparent as opposed to trying to track everything with uh, cash payments. That is the most, that is the least transparent method of doing it. And their servicing cost of humans going and collecting it and, and tracking it and storing it. And all of that stuff has been a disaster for vulnerable families. And so that's why we're excited about uh, piloting this model. Yeah. I imagine you probably also follow uh, what Vance Roush is doing as well, do you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Love Vance yeah. has been actually become a friend and uh, am, am a big fan of, of Overflow and, um, and what they're doing to try to modernize uh, the way that, you know, giving can be done on an individual level and, you know, corporate level as well. Well, and for uh, impact or not-for-profit church leaders in America, yes. the issue of being unbanked is actually not a overseas issue or Latin America issue. Yeah. It's also an American and Canadian issue. Right. There's a lot of unbanked North Americans who just for whatever reason, and often it shows up in minority environments, do not trust the financial system. Exactly. And it's a major issue. So this will be this will be a, 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 a wonderful challenge to solve over the next little while as well, which will yeah. be fantastic. Okay, I'd love for you to give some advice to young leaders yeah. who are saying, man, I want to do what Brett's doing. Like, I, sure. I just, I get inspired by their their story and we do love to profile young entrepreneurs on this podcast. Sure. So, um, you know, if somebody wants to get started, what is a, a good place to start? What are what are some mistakes that they might avoid? Just uh, give, them, give them your uh, 60 seconds on the long elevator ride up to wherever you're going and, and give them your pitch. What would you say? Well, I can just tell you that to start, um, you know, a year before News Story was created, I was, I vividly remember, you know, sitting in my very low cost, small little apartment, uh, just sitting there reading books with zero accomplishments under my belt, actually two failures under my belt. And so um, you don't have to come from any place of, in my opinion, of prestige or high resume or all these qualifications. I think the most important thing is to start is deciding that you want to go against the mainstream and that you are interested in doing things differently and that you want to be obsessive with, with learning and starting to put that into action. And so um, I always say to dream big, but to start small. Um, as I've already mentioned in our, in our conversation for us, that was literally starting with one house, Carrie. Like, I'm not kidding. Like it was, it was putting together a plan of how to do one house and build one house. And, um, and, and we started with that and that got some traction and, um, and went, and went further along. But you know, it's so easy to get paralyzed um, with the ambiguity and not knowing things. Um, and that causes people not to start and it causes them to punt it and to put it off and to, um, you know, to the gravitational pull is always going to be to doing what's normal, doing what's, you know, kind of expected by other people around you. And a lot of people are going to raise their eyebrows if you tell them, hey, I'm going to do this thing that is a little risky or is, I'm going to take a salary cut to try this or sorry, like my nights and weekends now are dedicated to this thing. Like 
that's that's not normal, right? A lot of people are not doing that. And so um, you get you get to, the good news is that that's a choice. Like mm. you get to make that choice. And what we did in the very beginning was I was lucky to meet two co-founders, but the way that I met them was because uh, I have this term we use called um, manufactured serendipity. So because I was out there trying to create a new story and fund one house and needed to build a website, um, then I had to find somebody that could build the website for me, right? Who, who, who ended up becoming my co-founder, Matthew Marshall. And then Matthew was interested in a lot of the same things I was interested in, um, really around social entrepreneurship. And he hosted a really small meetup. Uh, it was like 10 people and he had an email list. And so he was like, hey, come pitch news story at this. And it was just like 10 of us with, you know, bad pizza and this like random place. And it turns out um, my other co now co-founder showed up to that, right? Because she was also interested in social entrepreneurship and wanting to be around other people that were thinking that way. And so you have to put yourself in those environments. And then um, just going a little bit further on this story, we came together and uh, we, we set a goal. <laughs> that goal was one house to start, right? Um, and then that grew to a street after that. And we would meet weekly and we would set weekly goals in the very beginning. And uh, we had timelines, we had urgency, and we just decided to do that, you know? And anybody listening, like, you can decide to do that. Um, and you can start small, and uh, that'll be my recommendation. Hmm. That's a great recommendation. Well, if people want the latest on New Story and what you're doing, uh, where can they learn more? Uh, so New Story, you can go to New Story Charity dot org and our uh, our social media handle is just new story charity we also have a documentary that is coming out um that's new um and that url will be new story dreams.org hmm. the documentary is called uh no small dreams and we actually talk about uh the dreams of the families that we've got to partner with um, our own entrepreneurial story um, and the co-founder's story and dreams. So that would probably be the best way to learn about us. Uh -huh, and that's absolutely. coming out. Um, it's about a 25 minute documentary um, about our entrepreneurial story and the families that we get to work with. And then uh, for me personally, I just, uh, my name on Twitter and Instagram is just a uh, uh, Brett Hagler. Great. And once again, for the documentary, the URL where people will find it. It's a new story dreams. Dot org. Amazing. Yeah. Brett, thank you so much. So appreciate Thanks, you. Love talking with you and, uh, and learning from you. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. And it challenged me, you know, it's, it's funny how when you eliminate all of the options, you can get better at what you do and that can stimulate growth. So if you want more, you can go to get transcripts at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 491. We covered a lot of material in this and all the links are in the show notes. Also want to thank our partners, ProMedia Fire and Generis. If you're a church or nonprofit looking to grow online, you can apply for their growth program today, ProMedia Fire, that is, by going to promediafire.com slash growth. And if you want to learn how to accelerate your generosity with a free 45-minute discovery session, you can go to generis.com slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S dot com slash carry. Next episode, well, we go deep. My guest is Glenn Packiam, 
And if you have felt like your job description has become impossible, particularly if you're a church leader or an impact organization leader, yeah, you're facing stacked expectations. Here's an excerpt from the next episode. I think it's been weird for a while in terms of expectations, but what I think is happening, Carrie, is that these expectations on pastors, they're not replacing one another. For example, you know, decades ago, maybe it was, you know, my pastor needs to be a great theologian or speaker, and then, you know, my pastor needs to be a great therapist or insightful counselor. It's not as if those expectations have replaced one another. I think they've just stacked. And so we just keep adding to it, you know, so it's theologian, communicator, counselor, uh, entrepreneur, social activist, political commentator. And, and it's, it's like that Jenga block, you know, it's just about to tip over because we keep stacking expectations. So that's next time on the podcast. If you subscribe, you're not going to miss it. And you will also not miss Andy Stanley, Susan Kane, Chris Bale, Dan Pink, Albert Tate, Vanessa Van Edwards, Ramit Sethi, Uh, Who else we got? Chad Veach, Nona Jones, and so many more coming up on this podcast. Uh, We've got a great year lined up for you of guests, and I'd love for you to subscribe. I know a lot of you are new every month and perhaps every episode, and I want to say welcome. I'm really glad you're here, and if you wouldn't mind sharing on the socials, leaving us a rating and review, I would be so, so grateful. And if you like this episode and you want to connect a little bit more, the way to connect with me personally these days is I am hanging out in the Art of Leadership Academy. It's a brand new thing that we set up and it's got hundreds of leaders in it. And if you go in there today, it's brand new, uh, but the dialogue is amazing. We have all of my premium courses inside. Uh, I'm doing live coaching. I interact with people and uh, we can go deeper and you're going to discover an amazing tribe of mentors and also friends. And you can get that at theartofleadershipacademy.com. $397 a year gets you your membership. And I'll tell you, it's exceeded our expectations. Every once in a while, you know, you build something, you think, oh, I hope this is going to work. And I'll tell you, it is a lot of fun. If you're looking for real solid support and you're tired of the drone online and you're ready to get into real community, head on over to theartofleadershipacademy.com. I'd love to welcome you in and we can connect over there. Well, thank you so much for listening. We will do this again real soon. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.